Psalms chapter 88. Tonight, I'm going to minister to you from, from what I believe the Lord is saying, first of all, for our Father's house. But this is a word for the body of Christ. I'm actually in the process of penning a book. But I doubt that, that what's in this message tonight, that the totality of that is going to be in this book because I believe that God has a fresh word tonight for this house. And I want you to hear it tonight, not as a sermon, but please hear it as a prophetic word. As I was praying and meditating today, the Lord gave me Psalms chapter 83, beginning in verse 12. And let me just give you a little, a little introduction that, that Israel is, under a major attack from its enemies and I'm not going to go into the details of all of those enemies and bog you down with all of that because I'm not here to give you a theological sermon but I'm here to deliver a word from the Lord as it relates to what the enemy was trying to do to Israel and the Bible relating to those enemies the, 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 the psalmist said who said let us take this is what the enemy said the enemy he said let us take to ourselves the houses of God in possession oh my God make them like a wheel as the stubble before the wind as the fire burneth a wood and as a flame setteth the mountains on fire so persecute them with thy tempest and make them afraid with thy storm Fill their faces with shame, that they may seek thy name, O Lord. Let them, be confound, let them be confounded and troubled forever. Yea, let them be put to shame and perish, that men may know that thou, whose name alone is Jehovah, art the most high over all the earth. Father, I thank you tonight for your word. I thank you for the ability to articulate that word and release it, Father, in this house in a way that it's going to stir the heart of every person. Father, in the sound of my voice, God, Father, I pray ignite a fire on the inside of us that can never be quenched, God, that cannot be dampened nor put out, God. Father, create a fire in us with great combustible forces, God, that will call your people to emerge God that it will move us out of the realms of complacency and out of the confinements that the enemy has tried to restrict us with God I thank you tonight for what you're about to do in Jesus name amen and amen I, I believe that just like Israel was under siege I believe that the church in America is under siege not only just the church in America but I believe that the church as a whole universally is under a siege of the enemy that the enemy has penetrated the church and done everything he could to, to use your pastor's words to neuter the church to become ineffective in what God created her to do I believe that the world is attacking right now the church it may not be verbally it may not be through martyrdom and it may not be through imprisonment but the world is persecuting everything that represents represents God and everything that the Word of God stands for. It's invading. It's our culture that's invading the church of the Lord Jesus Christ.
Jesus Christ with compromise and complacency with false theology and false doctrines that literally is making the church ineffective in who she is and what she does. There are things that are happening right now that have stifled the church from advancing the kingdom of God and instead of the church turning the world upside down like it's supposed to do, the world has influenced the church until we look more like the world than we look like the body of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are not to bear the image of a religious institution. We are to bear the image of our Lord Jesus Christ. That doesn't just mean that we have an outward appearance of holiness, but it means we walk in the character of who God is, that we minister like Jesus, that these signs should follow us. We shouldn't have to beg God for them. Signs of casting out devils, signs of speaking in new tongues, sign of healing the sick should follow those that believe. We are supposed to do the works of Jesus and even greater. It's His own prophecy toward us. We're supposed to be shaking regions and shaking nations instead of being shaken by the world itself. But the world has infiltrated the church because He's infiltrated leadership and He has brought principles and theologies and doctrines that are not of the Word of God that has made input to the church from reproducing after the Christ kind. We've turned people from lovers of Jesus to lovers of church. We have turned them from being on fire to becoming docile and not wanting to offend anybody. I got news for you. The gospel offends people. The truth offends people. Jesus himself offended people. Are y'all with me tonight? We've got to have a church that we carry the character of the one whom we serve. And he is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And I'm looking for a generation of lions that have a roar that is literally shaking the foundation of our nation, our communities, and our cultures. A voice that is waking up the people of God and waking up for the harvest that is at hand. And church, we have got to be be alert as to what is coming and what is happening and we have got to be a part of that generation that is bringing change and reformation let me make some statements to you tonight I know that you're hungry after revival I'm hungry after revival but I do not consider myself a revivalist even though most of what I do is in what is considered to be revivals but if the end of a revival and the purpose of revival is not something more than having a series of great meetings where miracles happen and people are encouraged and excited about the things of God that has got to lead to something more than that there's got to be more than just miracles there's got to be more than just excitement in the house of God it has to lead to a reformation that empowers the church to become the body of Christ outside the four walls of our building buildings because the truth is the world that needs Jesus is not inside of these buildings. They are outside of these buildings. And we've got to come to a place to where we carry the fire of God. And that fire of God is not quenched at the door. But that fire goes with us to our families, to the workplaces, to the marketplaces, to the schools that we attend. That we become a walking revival in every atmosphere. 
And instead of being affected by the atmospheres around us, we need to be the people who change the atmosphere. Can I preach in here, church? It's a shame that we have to come into a building and we have to be led by a worship team to be able to change the atmosphere because we bring in the atmosphere of the world and we bring in the atmosphere of our conflicts and our trials and our tribulation and then we come up needing to be worked up, if I might, and please don't be offended, but we come in when the truth is we ought to walk in as atmosphere changers. We ought to carry the fire of God in every environment no matter what's going on in our life that our rivers can't be dammed up by the troubles and conflict that we went through in the day a people that don't come to play in a river created by somebody else but people that are carriers of the rivers of God the Bible said out of your belly shall flow rivers everybody shout rivers you're not to go play in a river somebody else created. You are to become the river. You're to carry the fire of God that can't be put out. You're called to be the flame that keeps it stirred. Are y'all with me tonight? Because too many times we come to church, we get the river flowing, we get the fire burning, but then we walk out the door and, and the conflict of financial issues, the conflicts of issues in the job, the worries and the cares of the world, the pressure of trying to get the kids to soccer practice are all inundated or we're inundated with them. But you've got to learn how to pay the price to keep the fire burning even in the middle of all of the conflict. Somebody say revival is expensive. But it's not just the initial revival that costs you. It's sustaining an atmosphere of revival. Because you can't just have revival. you got to sustain revival. Because revival has to lead to something greater than just the meetings of being blessed and prophesied to. Hello somebody. It's got to lead to more than just a, an infusion for a moment. It's got to be something that carries a transformation in our own lives until that revival fire stays lit. And you've got to understand something about the fire of God. The fire of God is attracted to a dead flesh. Woo, I need to preach tonight. I'm going to say it again. The fire of God is attracted to dead flesh. That's why you got to live a life of continual self-sacrifice. A life of continual yieldedness. So revival and sustaining revival is extremely expensive. Everybody wants it, but nobody wants to pay the price for it. Everybody wants to see it, but nobody wants to lay down their life to sustain it. But you understand, you are a pioneering church of a move of God. You're not to just be spectators. You are called to be participators. You are called to be on the forefront and the front lines of pioneering revival in our nation that will change the future for our children and grandchildren. Woo. Now, now watch this, if you will. The problem with revival is, is everybody wants the meetings. But nobody wants to pay the price that creates that sustained revival. Because what happens is, is it begins to cost you.
It begins to cost your family. It begins to cost you things and you have to reprioritize life. And that's why some people will never embrace a move of God because they want to live a casual Christian lifestyle. But God didn't call any of us to a casual Christian lifestyle. He called us to a deep life of continual devotion to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He's called us to a life of devotion, a life of prayer, a life of fasting, a life of continual passion and pursuit of God because where there's a hunger and where there's a knocking and where there's an asking, there will always be a perpetual infilling of the Holy Spirit. Somebody say we got to be hungry. Hungry enough to reprioritize our lives. Hungry enough to rearrange things in our life and make room for God to move. I read once some time back where people are complaining, well, our pastor won't make room for a move of God. Aren't you glad that you've got leaders that are making room for a move of the Holy Ghost? They make room for God to move. The problem is not necessarily leaders not making room. The problem is people in the pews aren't making room for God to move in their everyday life. Because we have become so used to church sucking on the church's teeth. Don't get angry. I'm a farmer. We become so used to going to the church and sucking on the, on the ministry's teeth that we don't understand that we've got to grow up in the things of God and become the producers ourselves. Uh, I don't need the church to produce revival for me because I am a walking revival. I don't need somebody to stoke the fire. I'm my own fire stoker. Are you with me tonight? See, we've got to come to a place that we got to, we say, God, I, there's got to be something in me that I get off of this spiritual roller coaster that leads to extreme highs and extreme lows, but that I come to a place of a perpetual move of God in my life. And the reason people don't want revival is because they don't want the sacrifice. And it creates a storm. Everybody shout a storm. The first storm you've got to deal with is the willingness to be able to crucify your flesh. And say, God, I'm going to do whatever it takes to have a sustained move of God in my life personally. Because if you don't have a sustained God, sustained move of God in your life personally, you're not going to have a sustained move of God in this church. Woo, I need to preach. Or better yet, let me explain. There's going to be a move of God in our Father's house. The challenge is, is if you're not willing to create a sustained move in your own life, you're going to sometime or another begin to feel very uncomfortable where there is a sustained move of God because a sustained atmosphere. Are y'all with me? Oh, God. I said I wasn't going to go here this quick, but I'm going, to, I'm going to get there tonight. You understand that that creates a climate. And when a climate is created, then it creates a culture. And if you're used to a lukewarm culture, you will never survive in a culture of the fire of God. And you'll begin to feel unnormal because normal in this house will be a people that have committed themselves and devoted themselves to perpetual pursuit of God. Not this casual Christianity, show up and bless me. Show up and preach what I want to hear. Show up and give me a song. But it'll be a people that walk in the door that have stirred the atmosphere of God in their own life. They have come in prayed up and ready, full of the assignment and the giftings of God. 
when you come in not willing for that, you'll feel out of place. Ooh, I feel the Holy Ghost. Somebody say a storm. And then the next storm it creates is understand this, that where there is fire, fire produces light. Say it with me, fire produces light. There's a reason that the Bible says that God is a consuming fire. The Bible said God is light and in Him there is no darkness. Understanding that when the Bible refers to light, it's talking as well about the fire of God. That's why the Bible said that in the upper room they were baptized in the Holy Ghost and fire. Why? Because they went from Christ being the light of the world to the church becoming a light set on a hill that couldn't be hid. And to produce a light, there had to be a fire. Y'all with me today? Now, I, I won't go into the totality of all of that, but you understand that the fire of God produces a light on the inside of you. When light begins to manifest in your life, you've got to understand people love darkness. They won't come to the light unless they want to repent. When the light comes on, it dispels darkness. I don't understand why we're living in a culture that is complaining and griping about the spiritual and moral condition of our country when we bear the light that has the power and the ability to dispel the darkness. Instead of being the, instead of being the thermometer on the wall that reads the spiritual condition of our nation, we need to be the thermostats that bring the change to our nation. We need to quit complaining about the moral depravity and become the instruments that God uses to bring change because light will always dispel darkness. Everybody with me tonight? So when, when the light comes on, people begin to, to dissipate from our lives. People begin to reject the light. As a matter of fact, you want to see a great influx of souls that are really Christians, begotting Christians, You've never, seen a, you've never seen corn produce green beans, have you? You've never seen an apple seed produce oranges. And a Christ seed produces Christ. Oh, but a, but a religious seed produces religious... Uh oh mm. Complacent Christianity produces complacent Christianity. Mundane, religious, routine, ritualistic Christians produce ritualistic Christians. Are you with me? But fire-baptized, born-again believers produce Christ in other people. And the problem is we brought people into the church and made them to feel comfortable in their lifestyle of sin, in their depravity, in their rebellion against God. Sinners were never supposed to feel comfortable in your church. Boy, that's not popular, is it? Sinners, are, they're supposed to feel welcome but not comfortable. They're supposed to be invited but never to be made to feel that how they live is okay because there is a factor that the presence of God brings and it's called conviction. Conviction will always be present where the Spirit of God is present. And when you become the light that's set on a hill that is produced by the fire of God, you're going to bring conviction in everywhere you go. 
conviction will be in this house. And the problem with it is, is we have begotten lukewarm Christians out of a lukewarm atmosphere. But when the light comes on, let me tell you what happens. People that are ready to repent are going to come into this house. People that are bound and broken that could not find help in, in the institutionalized church are going to come running and they're going to come with their chest bared open and their sins revealed in an atmosphere of repentance that there might be a conversion in their life. And we will produce instead of church members, we will produce converts because of the fire of God. What you've got to understand it, a sustained revival produces a sustained light. That means that when the fire of God begins to burn, you've got to deal with your own junk. Uh oh, wait a minute. Things that you used to be able to get by with, God won't let you get by with it anymore. God will start dealing with your secret hidden sins that nobody in the church knows about. He'll start dealing with personality traits that you have accepted as part of the DNA of who you are, but God has rejected that part of you. Woo, you can't stay wounded. You can't stay a victim where the fire of God is. Because the light of God's presence begins to drive out that victim mentality. God don't need victims in His church. He needs overcoming warriors in His church. That doesn't mean you can't come in broken and, and dysfunctional. It just means that when you get in the presence of God, you're going to have to get healed. But the problem is we become comfortable with our beautiful gates and we've got comfortable with the attention that it brought us. We got comfortable with the people that contributed to us out of pity and compassion for being crippled and wounded. And our identity has become in the woundedness of who we are instead of the wholeness in who Jesus paid for us to become. Y'all with me? You're tracking with me tonight. We, we've got to understand that when God begins to move, you're going to be confronted with things. Confronted with little things that never bothered you before. Because the brighter the light, the deeper it goes with inside of you. Somebody say it's a storm. It's a storm in your personal life. But it also becomes a storm in your family. Because when the light comes on in you, it makes the darkness in your family feel really uncomfortable. Y'all not hear me? Family members begin to wonder what's going on with you. Why have you went enjoying that occult over there? It's not necessary for you to be so sold out. You ain't got to talk about Jesus all the time. What are you doing speaking in tongue? Y'all are dancing over there in that church. Why you always got to be talking to us about Jesus? Can't we talk about something else? Hello, somebody. Why do you always got to be quoting the Bible? And why do you got to be so sold out? Why do you got to give your money away? The, the, listen, comfortable Christianity is going to come against you. The religious institution is going to attack you. The world system is going to attack you. Because all of a sudden, you became the storm that made the atmosphere unsettled. Because you can't bring hot air into the presence of cold air and it not create a storm. And the thing is, you have become a hot atmosphere changer. When real revival is sustained, you create a sustained atmosphere. 
But before that sustained atmosphere can create a climate, it creates a, a very difficult storm. A storm in our personal lives and a storm in the lives of people around us. Listen to me, mamas and daddies. Your kids will get really uncomfortable with your devotion to God. They'll wonder why is it so necessary for us to be so radically sold out. They'll be uncomfortable with you holding a standard of godliness and holiness that you didn't hold prior to the fire of God. Because I promise you, the closer to God you get, the more hungry for holiness you will become. And it won't be out of institutionalized regulation. It comes out of a passion in your heart. When you're really in that fire of God, holiness becomes a product of our lifestyle. Mm. It's not the standard that the church preached. It's the standard that God established in you. Are you following me? It's what the Holy Spirit begins to stir inside of us. And it creates a storm in the areas of our life. And the thing is, you've got to make up your mind. Am I going to be in this till the end? Am I going to be so radically sold out? Because I'm going to be a pioneer that not only brings transformation and reformation in my own life and family, but I'm going to lead it in my city, in my communities, and across our nation. Are you really ready Come on, our Father's house to be pioneers of a sustained revival that is going to lead to reformation for our nation. Because I promise you, my call is to raise up warriors that are going to create a sustained atmosphere of revival until we have changed the climate in our nation and we have changed the, the, the culture in which God has placed us. We're not just here to have good church. We're here to turn the world upside down. I need to say it again. We're here to turn the world upside down. It was said about Jesus. It was said about His disciples. It was said about the Apostle Paul. They are turning our cities upside down. They are turning the world upside down. Where is a generation of people that so bear the nature and the image of Christ that they're turning their cities upside down? Why have, we let, why have we let this attack against the church that came in to seize the church and to take over with an attitude of compromise and lukewarmness begin to affect our lives? When God said you, not just the apostles, not just the prophets, not just the evangelists, but you as a believer and follower of Jesus, or a pioneer of transformation and change in your own family. The scripture says you're a nation of kings and priests. We're to carry the authority and we're to carry the ministry that brings about transformation and change. That is to call on every person in this room. It's to call upon every follower of Jesus that we've got to move from becoming spectators to becoming the frontline participators. And we have to be willing to be the storm. Say it with me, be the storm. We can't just, listen, we have to be able to be the storm. Here's some of the challenges that happen when you become the storm. The enemy says, well, you should listen to your family. You're just driving them further away from God. You need to tone it down a little bit because you're offending people. 
You need to tone it down a little bit because maybe you're just being, because you're not like everybody else. You're the one causing the trouble. And I promise you, every lukewarm, cold believer is going to accuse you of becoming the problem. Because you're the hot atmosphere that created the storm. And a lot of people are not willing to be the storm. But if you're going to be carriers of the fire of God, you're going to be a storm starter. Shout it with me, storm starter. And you've got to be willing to be that person. Can I, can I share with you the other, the other storms that it creates? Here's the other challenge that we face. And this is really the last, the last point of what I believe that God wants me to say. And that I'm supposed to minister and pray. But I need you to understand that, that not only does it create conflict and division. And you've got to be willing to pay the price. Because sometimes before the harvest comes, there's an exodus. Mm, y'all didn't want to hear that, did you? Sometimes before your family gets saved, sometimes they abandon you. Sometimes before your children get on board, they fight against you. That sometimes they don't want no part of this newfound fire that you're sustaining and cultivating in your everyday life. Because that fire, again, is creating, uh, is creating a light that those in darkness don't want no part of. I love your sign. I, I, we're going to hang it in our newly remodeled building one day. A safe place for the hungry, but a dangerous place for the lukewarm. I'm going to ask you a question. Are you a safe place for the lukewarm? I'm not asking you, is your church a safe place? I'm asking you, are you a safe place? Do you make lukewarm, mundane, ritualistic, Go through the motion, Christians feel comfortable, or do you make them feel extremely uncomfortable? Does your fire make them nervous? I'm going to ask you another question. Does the Jesus in you make the devil in them very antsy? The other challenge you face in creating a sustained atmosphere and some of the challenges that we face that most people are really unaware of is that when you really begin to keep the fires of God burning, I'm not just talking about having a flash in the pan, rent a revival church service. Because that's what a lot of places are doing. They're just renting revival. They're borrowing people's praise teams. They're borrowing anointed revivalist preachers. And they're renting revivals. But renting revival will not change our nation. Sustained revival will change our nation. Because it takes a sustained revival and a sustained atmosphere of revival and fire to create what we call whew, this weather system. This climate that God wants to create in His, in his church. Let me, let me say this to you. Right now, we're calling this move of God revival, but the Bible calls it normal Christianity. And because we have fallen so far from what's normal, we're calling what is, what is revival, what is normal, we're calling it supernatural. We're calling it awakenings. We're calling it revival. God said, I'm just bringing my church back to normal. 
I'm just, I'm just calling them back to be regional changers and city changers and nation changers. I'm calling them back to penetrate the realms of darkness and bring light into the world. I'm calling them as turning the world upside down again. And even as I speak these words, to some it's like, well, you're just a really enthusiastic preacher. Well, you really got a, quite a pipe dream there, preacher. No, I don't have a pipe dream. I have the Word of God. I have what the Bible said that every church and every believer ought to be doing. It is this enemy that has come in to seduce the church that has caused us to believe and expect for less than what the Scripture says we should be. The last thing that you got to understand that when sustained revival begins, you begin to stir up the very powers of hell. You begin to stir up every demonic spirit, every attacking devil. Listen, you think for one minute that Satan in all of his schemes and all of his plots are going to allow you to ignite on fire and not put up a realm of resistance? I have yet to be a part of any move of God and sustained revival that Jezebel didn't manifest in all of her fury. I have not been a part of a move of God where the spirit of Antichrist, that most people call the spirit of religion, that the spirit of Antichrist stands up and rears its head in fierce opposition. Can I tell you how, what the spirit of Antichrist is? The spirit of Antichrist is anti-Christ, not anti-Jesus. Oh. Let me say that again. It never said the spirit of anti-Jesus. It said the spirit of anti-Christ. Because Christ is the description of who He is. Meaning He is the anointed. Are you following me? And let me just say this to you. Paul writes and tells us Christ in us is the hope of glory. He tells us in Galatians chapter 2 verse 20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live not I but Christ. Not Jesus, Christ. Everybody say Christ. Meaning the description of who He is. The description of the anointing is in Luke 4.18. He come to declare the acceptable year of the Lord. He come to preach the good news to the poor. The anointing come to set the captives free. The anointing come to heal the brokenhearted. Are y'all with me today? The anointing come to set at liberty those who are oppressed. The works that Jesus did testify of who He is. If you don't believe me, He said in John 14, for the words that I speak, Believe me for the works that I do, for they testify that He is of the Father. That the Father was in Him, and He was in the Father. Are you with me? The works testify that He is the Anointed One. That's why when John the Baptist's disciples came to Jesus, watch this, and began to ask Jesus, are you the one, or do we look for another? Y'all with me? Are you the ones, or do I look for another? And the Bible said, you go tell John that the dead are raised, that the blind see, that the cripple walk. Because the works that he did was the testimony that he was the Messiah, the anointed one. Are you with me? 
So the anointing is the representation or the manifestation of who he really is. Antichrist is anti the nature and the character and the attributes of who he is. In other words, they don't care if you talk about Jesus or believe in Jesus, but if you manifest who he is, they're coming against you. If you heal the sick, they're coming after you. If you speak in tongues, they're coming after you. If you cast out devils, they're coming after you. If you manifest the power and the authority of Jesus, they're coming after you. Woo! They will never bother you as long as you're a powerless spectator that just has good theology and good doctrine, but you fail to bear the anointing. Because when the anointed one manifests in you, I promise you the spirit of Antichrist is coming after you. You can call it a religious spirit. You can call it what you want to. But it is the spirit of Antichrist. And when you begin to walk in sustained revival that produces the life and character of Christ in a believer... That all of a sudden, ministry is not what I do in an altar where an atmosphere has been set by a praise team. But ministry becomes who I am. I begin to minister everywhere I'm at. I minister in the restaurants I eat at. I minister in the place where I work or, or the company that I own. Are y'all hearing me preach? That my employees are my assignment and not just my money makers. Woo, my goodness. That the company that I work for is not just the place I draw my paycheck from. It becomes the mission field in which God has planted me. And instead of dragging people to church for a miracle, I become the producer of the miracles that they're waiting on. Wow. That I get out of the box of fear. And I get out of the box of complacency because this is what sustained revival will do. It'll put a fire in you that you can't just be a spectator anymore. You'll have to become a participator. And the thing about it is, is ministry won't just do, be what you do when you get to the church and put on your children's church badge. Or you put on your usher badge. But ministry becomes who you are. And ministry is not whether or not you got a paycheck. You're in full-time ministry whether you get a check or not. Because I promise you, God enlists you into full-time ministry when you begin to live a mature, sustained life of revival. You're predestined by the Word of God to be conformed into the image of Jesus. Satan has done everything he can to try to take over the church. He's tried to seize the church. He's tried to set up his throne. According to Thessalonians, he has tried to set up his throne in the temple. You understand the temple is not in Jerusalem. The temple is is setting in front of me right now. You are the church. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are the house of the living God. And the enemy has seized us by trying to take over the throne of our hearts. He's tried to position us to a people that are less than who He's called us to by believing the lies that He propagated. And when we come out of the deception and begin to become who He called us to become, I promise you, the demonic realm is coming after you. In the book of Acts, we see where there were some some Jewish exorcists that were trying to cast a demon 
out of the seven sons of Sceva. Y'all know the story. They were going trying to cast a, a, a demon out of a man. And the Bible said that we, 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 we expel you in the name of Jesus in whom Paul preaches. And the Bible said that that demon spoke up and said, listen, Paul we know, Jesus we know, but who are you? Can I tell you that much of the church, because they don't bear the full authority of His name, the enemy doesn't know you. But I promise you, when you begin to live in the sustained realm of revival and you begin to walk in a place of intimacy with God and your life is sold out to Him, the devil knows your name. And because you have now become a threat to the kingdom of darkness, a spiritual onslaught is coming. A spiritual battle that requires you to engage. Somebody say engage. Other words, you can't let somebody fight this battle. You got to be ready to go to war. That means if you're going to win, you got to be armored up in Jesus. You got to put on Christ's church. That means you can't be a casual visitor of God's presence. You've got to be fully clothed in His presence every day. The armor that, that Paul writes about is really Christ. Every element of that armor is Christ. And we've got to put Him on. When you're walking in real sustained revival, you understand you're putting on Jesus every day. Every dynamic of who He is. That means I'm not just you know, getting a blessing here and a blessing there. That means I'm walking in the perpetual clothing of His presence. And you can't gauge in battle. Unless you are literally armed with Him, church. And you got to be willing to engage in a battle that God said has already been fought for you. Here's the challenge, guys. Listen carefully. And I'm done. I've had now six years of being in perpetual revival. I'm in churches all over the nation that are in sustained revival. And every one of them deal with the challenges that I just ministered to you about. They deal with the personal storm in their own life as to the willingness to, to create and sustain revival in their personal life which is necessary for you to sustain perpetual revival in this house. And some people choose not to pay the price. Let's back off. Let's don't pray as much. I got too many things going on. It's summer and, and, and the ball games have started and the, all the vacations and everything and I just can't seem to find the time. And the problem is God's the one that ends up getting the back seat. His will. Because it's a personal battle that we all fight. The problem is if you don't win that battle in your personal life, this church will struggle to win that battle corporately. Because you are the body of Christ. And every member is significant and important. And when one member suffers, the whole body suffers. This has got to be something we do in unity, church. And it's got to be a battle that you win. And you've got to be willing to be the storm. 
in, even in your own life. And you've got to be willing to understand there's going to be rejection in this. Rejection from other believers that claim to be were believers but are really lukewarm are just going through the religious motions. The challenge to being lukewarm is the fact you don't know you're lukewarm. The Bible said, they said, we're rich and have need of nothing. Jesus said, you're poor, naked, and blind. They didn't know there was anything missing. They thought we're good. And that's what everybody says when the fire starts and revival hits. Well, I don't know why we need all that. We're just fine. We're good. We're all fine. Why can't things just be like they've always been? Because the way they are is what's gotten our nation in the condition it's in right now. Can I make a profound statement? Lukewarm people blame a political party for the moral condition of a nation. But real believers understand that the power to change a nation does not lie at the White House. It lies in the church house. The power to turn this country around is not set by laws and legislation. My God, drugs are illegal, but they're rampant in our cities, in our communities, in our society. Changing the laws won't change the moral condition of our country, but a church on fire in sustained revival will turn our culture upside down. My God. Lukewarm people... Put the blame on a government when the blame lies at our own doorstep. Because we became lukewarm and said there's no need. We're good, but we're not good. And then the spiritual dynamic. If I, without being any kind of prophetic anointing in my life, but if I, I'm just saying, if, if it weren't, I would guarantee you that in this room I'm ministering and preaching to people right now who for the last four months have probably gone through the greatest spiritual battles you've ever gone through in your life. That you've been hit by every demonic force, every spirit that's challenged you to compromise, every kind of enticement to back down and to back off. Because I want to tell you something. In all of my travels, I have been in very few places like our Father's house. Very few places have I experienced the fire that I experienced in this house just a few months ago. And I knew out of my own wisdom that there was coming a battle. There was coming a trial. There was coming a test. Because any time that you set this kind of fire, devils are coming out. You understand that, that, that on, the, on the Isle of, pa, uh, of Malta, the barbarians, the Bible said, were compassionate and kind and started a fire for the shipwrecked people that Paul was on that boat. And the Bible said that when Paul, with an arm full of sticks and wood, began to put fuel on that fire, you understand the battle don't come when the fire's lit. The battle comes when you sustain the fire. When you begin to create a, 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 a sustained atmosphere of fire, it's when the moment that he throwed those sticks on that fire 
that the enemy, the Bible said, the viper, because of the heat, came out and struck Paul. I promise you the enemy's going to strike when you put wood on the fire that's already burning. There's a fire in Avon, Indiana. A fire that God has no intentions of it ever going out. But it's going to take a people that says we're going to be the storm. We're going to create a sustained atmosphere. And listen, I can't promise you that the storms are forever going to go away. Because every time that, that a cold air mass tries to creep in, and it will, there's going to be another storm. But the storm is going to be certain because you've created a hot atmosphere of the fire of God that is creating a sustained revival that will lead to a reformation. And at the reformation comes a culture. Everybody say a culture. That is built around the climate. Every culture in the world is built around a climate. A climate establishes what kind of economic system they have. What kind of industries they have. Are y'all with me? Because it, what kind of people it attracts. They're attracted to the climate. And when you create a climate, people will be attracted to the climate of fire. So therefore, you don't produce lukewarm people. You produce people of fire, of sustained revival, people of awakening, people that are changing their nation instead of people being affected and changed by their nation. I want you to stand with me. I want you to look up. I, I, like to, I like to look at folks. I'm here on assignment tonight. I really believe that God sent me here tonight. Not as just an invitation from Paul. But as one sent for an assignment for a region of America that his heart longs to transform and change. And I'm standing in front of the people that God wants to use to change this entire region of the world. I knew when I left here there would be a battle. I made a statement tonight without any kind of prophetic anointing I could tell you out of wisdom that you've been in a battle. Because I know what you did and what you created in this place. The sacrifices of dead flesh that I saw on an altar. That had been there months and months before I ever came to visit. The sacrifice of shutting things down and making extreme changes. That's laying down ministry to have his ministry. Those are the kind of sacrifices that attract the fire of God. Mm. But with that kind of fire comes a great storm. 
that most of us were not geared up for. We thought we were. Most of us are like Peter. Lord, I'll never deny you. Lord, I'll never back down. Lord, I promise I won't. Until all of a sudden, they're shackling him up. And now my life is at danger. It's my family. It's my children. It's my future. It's my well-being that has come in jeopardy. And when we're in the heat of that storm, and the winds are blowing, and everything that we was in nicely situated in its place is getting turned toxy-turvy, and it's getting strong everywhere, and things get messy. Sometimes we're not exactly where we thought we were. But here's what I believe the Lord told me. He said, son, whatever battles that they have fought and gone through, whatever sifting processes that they have felt and experienced have only been the results of me transforming them and, 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 and sifting them so that they are well able to bear the fire that will create a climate that will establish a culture. God said the whole process was only refinement. I've only been building a masterpiece. I've only been perfecting a people that were well able to fulfill my assignment. So I really came to pray for the people that had been in the intense battle of a storm that unknowingly you might have created. But it was intentional by God. Because the storm is what's going to destroy the enemies of God. The storm is what's going to move the enemy of God that has stood as a roadblock and an obstacle of his people becoming everything that he created them to become. So how many of you in this room would be honest enough to say, Lance, I've been in a tremendous battle. I've been in some stuff I didn't anticipate. I've been going through some emotions and some feelings. I've been challenged, but I'm still here. I hadn't quit, but you probably had some thoughts about it. You hadn't give up, but you probably became weary in the battle. You see, you're the ones that God called me to pray for to lift up your hands, to encourage you. You're in the right place, yep. doing the right thing, yep. at the right time. Yep. And whatever you've gone through was never meant to destroy you. It was only meant to build you. If you lifted your hands, I want you to join me if you would come. I want you to come. If you raise your hand, I want you to come. I want to pray over you real quick. you to understand something eight years ago when God began to move in my heart and my life about revival 
And I, at the time, it wasn't terminology, revival. But God began to stir me. I lost nearly every pastor friend I had. When revival did break out in my life and in my ministry and everywhere I went, I had pastors tell me, we don't want revival in our church. Revival messes up good churches. The only church that revival messes up is it messes up lukewarm, complacent Christianity. Family members didn't understand me. Friends walked away from me. I lost over half my church. They left me. They said, we don't understand what's wrong with pastor. We don't understand. Why, why can't we just keep doing gimmicks and games? Why do we got to come to prayer? Why do we got to show up all the time? And Why do we have to pray? Why can't we just sing songs and hear sermons and go home? But I want you to understand something. When God sat down in Ranger, Georgia, and God began to move, and the people got ignited, and they processed the storm that they were creating, they have already begun to set not just an atmosphere, but a climate. And because of that climate, people have come less than one percent of my church lives within 30 minutes of where our church is located the shortest distance 90 percent of my church drives to get to ranger georgia is a half hour we just doubled the size of our sanctuary from 130 to 230 and we're putting people in the overflow and the project's not even done. We're baptizing every week because so many people are getting saved. But the problem is they're getting saved before they get to our church. They're only coming to the altar to confirm what somebody had led them in during the week. I'm telling you tonight, revival is worth it. I'm telling you being the storm is worth it. I'm telling you the results of what it will produce in the earth is worth it. And I'm telling you, you may be bleeding, you may be, you may be out of breath, you may be struggling, but the grace of God is more than enough. If you will lean on Him and not back up, I promise you your times of refreshing are coming from His presence. And I promise you the winds of renewal and refreshing will blow over your life tonight. Just in this decision to be standing in this altar right now already releases the winds of refreshing breath from heaven that says I'll make strong the weary. I'll make strong those that are tired I'll renew their breath I'll renew their strength I will make strong the weak areas of their life says the Lord
And I will cause them to run and not faint. Breathe on us, Holy Spirit, all over this building. Breathe on us right now. God, let rivers begin to emerge right now in this altar. God, I call them forth. Rivers of refreshing, living water come forth in Jesus' name. Reviving and renewing, God. Strengthening and establishing your sons and daughters right now. Spirit of God, breathe on us.